When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, everyone, and welcome to DevRaga Personal Finance, Episode 80. And in this episode, we'll tackle the concepts of asset allocation and rebalancing. For those of you that are new to the channel, remember, the aim is to educate, empower, and entertain. Now, just a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an accountant, nor am I a lawyer or a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions you want to make after listening to this channel, take it to your appropriate advisors and get professional advice. But if you are stuck on what to do, here are some simple steps to get you in the right track when it comes to saving, investing and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is pay yourself first. Take 20% of after-tax money and put it aside straight off the top. Step two, invest that money, ideally something that you understand or want to understand. I just invest in index funds because I understand index funds. Step three, reinvest dividends. The power of compounding is real. You never cash out your dividend check. You always reinvest it. And most of the investments nowadays have an option where you don't actually get a check. They invest it for you. Step four, do it for the long term. I'm not talking five, 10 or even 15 years. I'm talking very long term, 20, 30, 40 plus years. And step five, my favorite, is always automate the investment process forever. That is, when you get paid, 20% of after-tax income gets automatically taken out and then paid into your index fund or whatever investments that you have. Now, if you did these simple five steps, then you're more likely to have more money than you'll ever need. Now, remember, money is just a tool. It doesn't bring happiness, but you can use it as a tool to make your life better, but also the most important people around you, you can make their lives better as well. Now, I was going to do this episode a very, very long time ago uh, when I got asked by a couple of people who were lucky enough uh, to come into contact with very large sums of money. They wanted to know how best to allocate their newfound wealth. Now, both of them have come into contact with about eight figures uh, when it comes to money. That's a huge sum of money. So about mid eight figures. Um, And both of them have worked very hard over many years, and finally their payday will arrive shortly. They will get paid in installments over the next 24 months, uh, up to eight figures, which is mid-eight figures. So, you know, we're looking at sort of, you know, 40 to $60 million. That's a lot of money. So both of them are shrewd with their money, um, have have actually got very well-paying jobs, um, and will probably continue working... Um, but also seek their next passion in life. Um, I just don't see them both retiring after, you know, coming into these huge sums of money. Now, I'm sure they're listening, so if they are, so uh, a big shout out to them for raising the topic of asset allocation and rebalancing. 
Now, just to be clear, I don't get a cut from their wealth for making this episode. I have no advertisers. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. But uh, this episode is completely independent. Um, It just so happened that they had contacted me earlier in the year, many months ago now, about talking uh, about this particular topic of rebalancing and asset allocation. So why the delay? Well, I think the world is a very, very small place, uh, especially the world of medicine. Actually, um, the the delay in discussing about this topic um, protects their identity, uh, but also allows me some time to construct an episode which may be valuable to them and other listeners. Now, let's face it, most of us will never, ever see an eight-figure portfolio or eight-figure lump sum payment. But I need to stress the whole point of my podcast series is one, principles, principles, principles. The principles are the same no matter if you have $100 or $100 million, or at least in my humble opinion, I think the principles are the same. So let's get started. What is asset allocation? Asset allocation is basically coming up with an investment strategy whereby you take into account your risk profile, which I've discussed about in episode 75. You take into account your personal goals. What do you want to do with your assets? And you take into account your investment time horizon. Now, most of my episodes, I talk about an investment time horizon of 20, 30, or 40 plus years. But when it comes to asset allocation, it may not be this long at all. For example, if you have money and you want to buy a car in the next six months, then that's your goal. Your risk profile may be low and your investment time horizon is only six months. So your asset allocation or capital allocation may just be to put it in a term deposit or savings account so that you have the money to buy a car in that six months time. The asset allocation strategy is also closely linked to the concept of risk-reward ratio, and that is we've discussed this extensively in previous episodes, especially when it comes to modern portfolio theory and the efficient frontier. That is, you need to minimize your risk to achieve a given level of reward and return. Now, if you haven't listened to those earlier episodes, I think it's probably worthwhile after this to go back and listen because the way the podcast series works in general is concept reiteration. That is, I keep repeating the same concepts until it gets ingrained into your brain and my brain as well to some extent, but also to build on previous episodes. So some of the concepts that we talk about now, you may need to have some knowledge about previous concepts which I've talked about so we can build on the knowledge as we progress on this journey, hopefully to financial independence, but more so to get your personal finance and investing life into order. Now, for the purposes of this episode of asset allocation and rebalancing, we're mainly talking about the main assets, equities and stocks, fixed income securities like bonds, cash, property, and superannuation. Now, I know superannuation is technically not an asset per se. It is technically a structure which holds assets, but it's one of the main retirement vehicles in Australia. So for you overseas listeners, we have uh, retirement pension funds called superannuation funds, which are structures which are specifically designed so people can retire without having Mm -hmm. to live on the age pension. Um, And they're very, very tax-effective structures, but it's not an asset per se. We won't be talking about commodities, we won't be talking about art, 
and we won't be talking about your grandma's wedding ring and other less commonly invested asset classes. We're talking about the main asset classes here, not sort of random asset classes, uh, which are not very common for the average investor to invest in in terms of building wealth over the long term. I know a couple of you listeners out there have antique cars, but the majority don't. So we're going to focus on the major asset classes. So how is asset allocation related to investment goals? Now, the common goals in investments are, one, retirement fund. You need to build a fund to retire on. Saving for a home deposit. That's the other common goal that um, I get asked about, where to put money in in the event that they want to buy a house in the next 12 to 24 months. Saving for a car. Saving to pay for kids' school or university expenses. Or even saving for a holiday, which I'm sure a lot of you are dying to take given the global lockdown at the moment. So depending on the type of goals, your risk-taking ability is different. And generally speaking, the longer the time horizon for your investment, the lower the risk when it comes to investments. But that doesn't mean lower the volatility. Volatility does not equate to risk, and I think it's important for you to understand that. But this doesn't also account for the type of asset that you allocate your portfolio and capital to. So, for example, if you just hide money away under your mattress, it's a very safe place. You're more likely to preserve your capital in the long run. But the longer you keep it there, the less value or buying power that cash will have in the future due to inflation. Now, if you want to learn more about inflation, I've talked about it extensively in detail in episode 27, probably worthwhile after this episode to go back and listen to that. And again, building on concepts is really important to the journey of the Devraga Personal Finance Podcasting Channel. If you want to if you want to buy a home, for example, in the next 12 months, it will be madness to invest in the stock market, especially right now, given the volatility. Imagine what would have happened, right, if you wanted to buy a home in late 2020 and you invested your money in December 2019. Absolute nightmare scenario. Now, uh, yes, the stock market has recovered up to 20% from the you know down of 30% in March, but we're still down 10%, so you still would have lost money. So investing in stocks in the short term for something like saving for a home deposit is an absolute nightmare. So does that mean that there's a perfect strategy when it comes to asset allocation? The short answer to that is no, but the long answer is possibly. You want to allocate your assets in such a way that during uptimes you get the maximum benefit and during downtimes you don't get hit as hard. So to some extent there may be a perfect asset allocation strategy. So for the two people who have contacted me in the last several months with their eight-figure sum of money coming their way, I'm pretty sure by now they would have got it, accounting for taxes, it's still a lot of money So what are some of the strategies they can employ when it comes to asset allocation? Where can they put their money? Now, when I say they, I really am sort of talking about the really, really huge network sort of people, but it doesn't have to just be them. It can be anyone. Remember, the podcasting series is about principles. It's not about specific advice. So you can use asset allocation strategies even if you're not a net worth millionaire. It doesn't matter. The aim is to get you to becoming a net worth millionaire or hopefully uh, a net worth multimillionaire, decamillionaire or even a billionaire. Who knows? So let's discuss asset allocation strategies specifically. Now, the number one take-home message from this podcast is asset allocation is a dynamic process. You don't distribute your portfolio into various assets and forget about it. You need to periodically check 
and readjust, and that's called rebalancing. More on that concept later on in this episode. The number two take-home message from this podcast is asset allocation depends on a lot on risk profile and investment time horizon and your personal investment goals. So don't even think about asset allocation without having an investment time horizon, without having a personalized risk profile, and without having personal investment goals. You need to have them written down before you think about allocating your capital or allocating your assets for a specific portfolio. Strategy one, it's called the strategic asset allocation. So this strategy is basically an asset allocation strategy where you have predetermined percentages of capital allocated to predetermined asset classes. Now, the best way in my podcast that I try and highlight concepts is to use examples. So let's use examples in this case. Suppose you have $100,000. You might want to allocate 50% of it to stocks and 50% of it to bonds. You don't want to allocate anything to property, nothing else, 50 and 50, just be done with it. Now, within the stocks and bonds, you can either buy individual stocks or bonds or just buy index funds or ETFs of stocks or bonds, and that's up to you. You've determined the stocks and bonds have a predetermined risk-reward ratio, and you're just apportioning your capital to your particular uh, stock portfolio or your bond portfolio. So the take-home message for this type of asset allocation is you don't care about the market conditions, you are indifferent to the economic environments, you don't panic. It's very similar to a buy and hold strategy and also heavily relies on the concept of diversification. Refer to my previous episode 79 where I talk about the pitfalls of passive investing, uh, where I talk about diversification and the concept of over-diversification and its risks. So the strategic asset allocation means despite the economic conditions, if your allocations become different percentages from your initial set goals, in this case 50-50, you don't budge. So if your portfolio drops and now has 30% stocks and 70% bonds in terms of value, it doesn't matter. You just sit in the sidelines and stay the course. That is strategic asset allocation. Strategy number two, constant weighted asset allocation. Now, this is very similar to the strategic asset allocation, but in this case, if the economic conditions change and the value of your portfolio drops or rises and the allocation percentages start to change a significant amount, you want to bring it back to 50-50. This was your predetermined strategy in the first place, and you want to stick to it. This is where rebalancing comes in. So let's use an example to discuss um, this particular asset allocation strategy. You have the same $100,000. You allocate 50K to stocks and 50K to bonds, and that gives you a ratio of 50 to 50, so one to one. And after COVID, for example, your stocks get wiped out and now represent 30% of your portfolio and 70% uh, are represented by bonds. So in this particular case, you would buy more stocks so that the ratio of stocks to bonds comes back to a 50-50 ratio. Now, there is no hard and fast rules about when you would actually do this. Um, and it, you know, it does have an element of market timing. But the general rule of thumb is when the assets start to drift more than 10% away from each other from your initial predetermined asset allocation, you should consider doing a rebalancing. And after uh, factoring the fees and charges for doing this, remember when you start asset allocation, it's not free. Um, so you've got to factor in brokerage and any sale costs, etc. So even for those people that have super, for example, for the Australian listeners, 
When you go into your super account and you change the asset allocation based on balanced or conservative or aggressive or high growth, whatever it is, you need to make sure before you do that, uh, whether there's any fees associated with it. So I think you need to check the PDS statement. You need to check with your superannuation fund because I'm pretty sure a lot of the superannuations that offer these predetermined asset allocations, if you change them, I'm pretty sure it's not free. I'm pretty sure you still need to pay a set fee uh, for actually changing it. Now, um, I'd be very interested to hear from any of you that have changed your asset allocation in your super and not be charged any fees. I'd be very, very curious, but a lot of them do have hidden fees associated with it. So don't just keep randomly changing asset allocations on a regular basis because the whole point of it is to make sure you strategize um, your portfolio returns. And by doing it too frequently, you'll just eat up your portfolio returns due to fees. So you've got to be a bit careful about it. So that is called um, uh, a constant weighting alloca- uh, weighted allocation asset allocation strategy. Okay. So the two different strategies we've talked about is strategy one, strategic asset allocation, and strategy two is constant weighting asset allocation. Let's go to strategy three, and this is called tactical asset allocation. Now, this is when you have more of an active approach to asset allocation. So you may start off with um, strategic or constant weighted asset allocation, but every now and again, you want to take advantage of market conditions by allocating your portfolio in such a way to take advantage of short-term volatility. Now, Guess what we've had in the last six months? Short-term volatility. We've had COVID. February, March, April, massive volatility. March especially in Australia and globally. So you, if you have a tactical asset allocation strategy, you may want to, during this particular time, although now it's a bit too late, but during that time, you may have wanted to move your money in various ways in order to take advantage of market volatility. So let's use an example to um, illustrate a tactical asset allocation. You have $100,000 and you initially allocated it to 50% stocks and 50% bonds and then COVID happens. You realize that companies like, for example, Afterpay or Zipco will flourish because remember, people will buy things they couldn't afford and now they don't have any money due to the loss of income. So they buy, you know, they buy things using Afterpay and Zipco. Now, please don't buy things using Afterpay and Zipco. Um, It's not a great idea. So if you use Afterpay and Zipco, my advice is stop because you're spending money that you don't have. That's a different topic. So you then allocate a part of your portfolio to buy um, shares in buy now, pay later companies like Afterpay and Zipco. And there's a million others, I'm pretty sure, in Australia. And guess what? It pays off because even though you took a risk in buying individual stocks, you picked well, and now your portfolio is worth a lot more. This creates a slight problem, though. Now that you've picked a winning stock such as Afterpay or Zipco, your portfolio may be overweighted towards stocks with buy now, pay later stocks representing a significant portion. So remember, you've allocated 50% stocks and 50% bonds, and you want to tactically allocate some of your assets to buy specific assets such as Afterpay or Buy Now, Pay Later companies, and you've done really well. But by doing that, you've upset the apple cart by changing the percentage of stocks versus percentage of bonds when it comes to your initial um, allocation, which was 50-50. So at this stage, you may want to revert back to constant weight asset allocation. So you've 
basically made use of a tactical asset allocation. And you want to go back to constant weighting asset allocation strategy and sell off some of these stocks and buy more bonds or other undervalued stocks. Now, I've discussed how to use fundamental stock analysis using PE ratios and PB ratios in episodes 77 and 78 if you want to talk about value in specific stocks. But in this particular case, you've used tactical asset allocation strategy You made a lot of money out of it and you want to go back to the constant weighting allocation strategy because now that COVID is relatively stable after, you know, three to six months time, you've made great, uh, you've made great market moves, so to speak, and you've made a lot of money, but you want to go back to the constant asset allocation. So strategy three, tactical asset allocation um, is risky uh, because it kind of, you know, it's kind of like stock picking to some extent and market timing, but also it comes with great reward in the short term. So when you anticipate volatility, you need to be prepared to be able to do this if this sort of thing floats your boat. So you may not use tactical asset allocation strategy all the time. You may only use it during those unique market opportunities to make a quick buck. So the GFC was a classic example of people making a quick buck, uh, taking advantage of market, market volatility and unique market opportunities and economic conditions. And COVID is another one. Now, the other problem is um, you may distort your goals. That's one of the other problems is now that you've gotten too greedy, you may lose your vision for your investment goals using this approach. So there is a risk that using a tactical asset allocation strategy may distort your goals and as a result you become too greedy and you may actually lose money as a result of uh, taking too much risk. So that's strategy three. Strategy four is what's called baseline asset allocation or also known as insured asset allocation. So what does this mean? Well, this is when you allocate a base value to your portfolio. When the portfolio value is above this base value, you continue to allocate resources actively. This requires extensive research, reading reports, analysis, forecast, judgments, personal experience, etc. And if the portfolio drops below your base value, you switch your asset allocation to a very conservative portfolio, such as bonds, fixed income securities, cash, etc. Then you go back to drawing board on how to allocate the capital gain and you may change your entire strategy moving forward. Let's use an example of a baseline asset allocation strategy. Again, you have $100,000 in portfolio. We allocate all of it to equities. You don't want to do any bonds. You set a base value of 50%. That is, if your portfolio loses more than 50% of its value, you will switch it to conservative assets like cash or bonds. Now, this sort of strategy may be suitable for the person retired, for example. They can afford to lose some value of their portfolio if they have a large portfolio, but then have a base value they must maintain in order to have a good quality of living in their retirement. So this depends entirely on the individual, risk profile, investment time horizon, and your investment goals. Going back to those three fundamental things that you need to have worked out before talking about asset allocation. If you look at online forums, a lot of people say, where should I put my money? Well, that depends on what your investment time horizon is, what your risk profile is, and what is your personalized investment goals. And this is where it might pay uh, for you to go and get independent financial advice who can actually calculate your risk profile and then develop a personalized investment strategy for you. Um, You know, you might want to look into that if that's, that's the sort of thing that you want to do. So that is baseline asset allocation or insured asset allocation. Strategy five, dynamic asset allocation. So what's that? This is the opposite of constant weighted asset allocation. So let's revisit constant weighted asset allocation and then talk about dynamic and how it's different. 
In the constant weighted asset allocation um, strategy, remember if the portfolio value decreases, you buy the asset that has declined in value and sell the ones which have maintained its value and increased in value, and that way you can rebalance the portfolio. Okay, so if you have a 50-50 stock allocation, if stock market drops, you have a 30-70 allocation, you sell some of your bonds and buy some of the stocks because presumably you think the stocks are undervalued and therefore they, you know, they need to be bought. But in dynamic asset allocation strategy, it's the opposite. That is, you get rid of your losers and you buy more winners. You respond to market fluctuations in exactly the same way. But you set a percentage of which of the assets, and if they diverge too much, then you sell the asset which has declined in value and buy more of the asset which is appreciated in value. So let's use an example. 100000 initially allocated to stocks, and due to COVID, you lose 30%. You cut your losses and sell some of your stock and buy a defensive asset like a bond or perhaps pay off some of your mortgage. So this is also called cut your losses strategy. Okay, so again, this is the opposite of the um, uh, of the constant weighting model. Strategy number six, the final strategy, is called, of course, a mix or an integrated asset allocation strategy. And basically, this is just a mix of all of the previous asset allocation strategies. You may start off with, you know, strategic asset allocation, then use a bit of tactical allocation, and then convert to a baseline asset allocation. Now, again, in reality the integrated asset allocation strategy is probably what most of us will be using because you know every year you need to re 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 reallocate assets you need to reallocate capital based on the way your portfolio has done that's probably going to be the most common but there are sub sub sort of strategies such as the tactical etc so the bottom line with asset allocation is that it's a very personal decision um, so hope this provides some basic principles about asset allocation uh, but before I go on to discuss rebalancing, I want to discuss two very well-known general asset allocation strategies when it comes to asset allocation. And that is the all-weather portfolio and the golden butterfly portfolio. Now, why am I talking about these two specifically? Because if you have very large sums of money, remember going back to the two people that have contacted me some months ago, they want to be able to allocate the capital in perhaps a set way. Um, and these are potentially two established portfolios, or you can mimic them if you wanted to, to try and get the best out of both worlds if that is what you want. Again, it's a very, very personalized uh, decision making. But I thought, in the interest of fairness, it's probably worthwhile to look at what is out there that has already been done and backtesting it over you know, 40, 50, 60 years and see if those portfolios, how they would have done even you know, during market turmoil. So let's talk about the two types, all-weather portfolio and golden butterfly. So what is the all-weather portfolio? Well, this was actually dreamt up by Ray Dalio, who's a billionaire investor. He's worth about $18 billion, so he's worth more money than me. Uh, and he's also the chairman of Bridgewater Associates, which is one of the biggest hedge funds. Um, uh, and he talks about this all-weather portfolio a lot. Now, he knows a thing or two about investing, um, he also predicted the 2008 financial crisis, and he warned uh, George Bush's uh, presidential administration about it. And amazingly, even during the GFC, his fund returned an impressive 9.5% after accounting for fees, while the whole world burnt down. Now, that's legendary. When everyone else loses money, his fund made money. And uh, the sort of 
historical sort of context is when he was a golf caddy, when he was a teenager, I think it was, he was a golf caddy, he learned a lot of his wealth tips from his bosses who he was caddying for, which is the ironic thing is now he's probably worth more than a lot of them all put together. So the all-weather portfolio, what is it? Well, it only has 30% of allocation to equities, US and international, 55% in fixed income securities, of which 40% is long-term bonds and 15% is intermediate bonds, and this accounts for the volatility of the stock market, 7.5% commodities, which is mainly gold, and 7.5% other commodities, which is broadly diversified, okay? So you could find an index fund or ETF in each of these areas and just replicate this portfolio and then rebalance it to reflect these weights, and this is the constant weighted asset allocation strategy. So I think the main reason why this portfolio exists is that it takes into, sorry, main reason why this portfolio asset allocation exists, beg your pardon, is that it takes into account the capital, but also takes into account the risk of each of those asset classes. For example, stocks are more riskier than bonds, hence stocks should only represent a lower proportion of your portfolios. In this particular all-weather portfolio, I was actually quite shocked to learn that stocks are only representative of about 30% of the entire portfolio, whereas bonds and commodities represent the rest. So that's the basic premise of this portfolio asset allocation strategy. Apparently, it weathers all sorts of economic conditions, recessions, inflation, deflation, growth phases, bull markets, bear markets, probably even COVID. So let's backtest the all-weather portfolio in the US market. Now, this is a very US-centric backtesting. It doesn't test it against the Australian market, so you need to do your own sums. But in the last 30 years... It has been up about 85% of the time, not including COVID, okay? It averages around 10% annualized returns. The S&P 500 returned 9.8% over 100 years. So again, it averages very similar, but the average loss during the last 30 years was only 2% per year. So that is your protection against the downside. So the backtesting of this all-weather portfolio through the following periods, the Great Depression... 20% decline for the entire uh, market, uh, uh, sorry, 20% decline for the all-weather portfolio, whereas the S&P 500 lost 65%. The average loss on a per-year basis between 1928 to 2013, when it did lose money, it only lost 3.65%, whereas the average loss for the S&P 500 was 13.66%. The protection against downside here is incredible. In 1973 and 2002, when the markets absolutely crushed it, crashed, the all-weather portfolio made money. So that's pretty impressive. Now, considering the Australian financial markets closely resemble those in the US, although this backtesting hasn't included the Australian markets, uh, you'll need to go back and do this for yourself. But I assume there might be similar results. Uh, But the figures I stress I quoted was for the US markets. Now, there is another strategy called the golden butterfly, which is basically a take on the all-weather portfolio. This is a a, a variation of the permanent portfolio, which is basically suggested by Harry Brown in the 1980s and basically comprised of stocks, bonds, commodities, all in equal proportions. So the golden butterfly alters this to make it 40% equities, US and small caps and international, 40% bonds, long-term and short-term, and 20% commodities, mainly in gold. Now, compared to all-weather portfolio, this is a more of an aggressive approach. Notice the heavier allocation to gold and no other commodities. This is more aggressive. This is mainly for markets which are more volatile, 
where gold is seen as a safety net, the golden butterfly does better in the long term when you have more volatile markets. That is, the golden butterfly assumes global economies will expand over time, there will be some volatility, whereas the all-weather portfolio is more indifferent to economies in general. Now, if you backtest the golden butterfly compared to 100% US stock allocation, the golden butterfly achieved similar long-term returns, but the volatility was much less, up to 60% less volatility. Again, protection against your downside. The worst year, it lost 11%, and the backtesting for these figures covers for the last 40 years. So that's about it for asset allocation. Plenty of concepts to ponder over, um, and there is no particular asset allocation strategy that is perfect. Uh, To be honest, whichever asset allocation strategy you use, you need to just stick it out. You need to not waver. You need to ignore the noise and use use evidence-based methods in order to asset allocate. You must also have an investment plan, investment goal, investment time horizon, and have a fair idea about your risk profile. Now, before I finish up, I want to talk about another concept called rebalancing. Uh, I want to talk about it in a bit more detail. I've mentioned about it earlier in this episode, but what is it? What is rebalancing? It's essentially the act of realigning the weighting of your portfolio between assets. And periodically, you may want to look at your portfolio and sell some of your assets and then buy other assets to ensure the portfolio mix is well aligned with your investment goals and time horizon. So the easiest way to look at this is, supposing your original investment goal is to invest your portfolio in 50% stocks and 50% bonds, over time, stocks may have increased and may now represent 70% of your portfolio, so you may wish to sell your stocks to bring it back to 50% of your portfolio and use the sale proceeds to buy more bonds. Now, this is called the constant weighted asset allocation model, but I'm using the concept of rebalancing to use that strategic allocation model, okay? I could have just sold my poorly performing bonds and bought more stocks. It doesn't matter, but the concept of you rebalancing um, is the most important concept. But why rebalance in the first place? Shouldn't you let your you know winners win or your losers lose or whatever it is? Why do it in the first place? Well, the main point of rebalancing is to make sure you're not vulnerable to any one asset class if a market downturn hits, and it reduces your undesirable risks. It also ensures your portfolio reflects what you want it to reflect. Remember, it's all about your personalized investment goals, and it also ensures it meets your changing financial goals. For example, a 20-year-old you may have an asset allocation in a totally different manner, And as you become older, you may want to rebalance in such a way your portfolio represents more conservative assets, which are less vulnerable to market and economic conditions. Rebalancing doesn't mean everything has to be equal. That's the other thing. It doesn't have to be 50-50 stock bond, you know, or 33-33-33% stock bond property allocation. It's what your predetermined target percentages are, and you're rebalancing to your predetermined target percentages. It can represent whatever you wish it to be representative of. So when is a good time to rebalance? Well, this all depends on the cost to do it. Buying and selling may involve brokerage. Remember, when you're rebalancing, that's exactly what you're doing. So it may trigger a capital gains event and may create more taxes or losses for you. So it really depends. Most people look at their portfolio yearly. This is called calendar rebalancing. Whether you want to do academic year or financial, it's up to you. Uh, They think about rebalancing. And I do this usually around January of every year. Um, and uh, and then I sort of don't do it during the year. I don't, you know, repeatedly asset allocate. I think it's I think it's just too expensive to do that. So I do it once a year. 
Um, and also look at everything in my life. I don't just look at my portfolio. I look at my life in general, insurance, my employment. Is there any opportunities for me in my employment to progress or start a business or a side hustle? Um, I look at my banking and my financials. Should I be with the same bank? Uh, are there other banks out there who provide a better service? I look at my investments, of course, my property, my stock portfolio, my index funds, my superannuation, what asset classes have allocated it to. I also look at the expenses. I look at my utility bills. I look at, is there any other company that has a better, uh, you know, a, a cheaper utilities? I look at my council rates. I look at my telecommunication costs. I look at my internet costs. I look at everything. Uh, it takes a while. It takes a good sort of two to three weeks to go through each and individual one, and I do it every year in January. One of the main factors to think about is to come up with a target variance uh, after which a rebalance triggers. So remember, you don't want to be rebalancing if your you know, variance of your asset allocation changes by just 2 or 3% uh, because you know uh, that may happen during any sort of volatile period. Now, I don't do any asset allocation during the year. Like I said, I only do it once a year because I'm not an active investor. I don't do tactical asset allocation, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. But you might want to think about it if you have assets breaching 15% deviation from the original target asset allocation. This may trigger a rebalancing act for you. Uh, this is called the constant mix strategy. Now, the other main rebalancing strategy is called constant proportion portfolio insurance, CPPI. Now, there is a mathematical formula behind this. And again, I won't get into the... Uh, actually, let's get into the geeky geeky thing about it. Might as well. We're in 36 minutes into this. We're overboard, but who cares? Uh, first, what you do with the mathematical formula with the constant proportion portfolio insurance is you decide the floor value of your portfolio. Then you decide your risk profile and come up with what's called a multiplier coefficient. And this depends on what's called a crash probability. And you must have a risky asset account and you must have a conservative asset account. Now, for the purposes of this episode, let's call risky as equities and let's call conservative as bonds. So let's use an example to highlight this rebalancing strategy. That is the constant proportion portfolio insurance. Supposing you have a portfolio of $100,000 and you're willing to accept the portfolio's floor value to be $90,000. Analyzing the... Um, market sentiment, you come up with a possibility of a crash is about 20%. Um, and the crash is defined as what's the maximum one day loss. So what is the maximum amount of money you will lose in one day for your portfolio? That is your crash probability. Therefore, the multiply coefficient is the inverse of the crash probability. So in this case, the crash probability is 20%. So the inverse of one divided by 0.2 is 5. So the multiply coefficient is 5. Now you may want to Google this concept because I might be confusing you. You really need pen and paper to be able to work this out. Therefore, the formula for the CPPI insurance becomes multiply coefficient multiplied by total portfolio minus the floor value, which gives you the result if this goes into the risky asset sector. The rest of the money goes into the conservative asset sector. So Let's use an example. For our example of $100,000, if my multiplier coefficient is 5, then I multiply 5 times in brackets 100,000 minus my floor value, which is 90,000, which is now 10,000, right? So 100 minus 90. Um, 5 multiplied by that, so 5 multiplied by 10,000, which is $50,000. This means $50,000 should go to risk assets such as equities. 
and the rest of it should go to conservative assets like bonds. Now, please note this formula is kind of like asset allocation, but it's actually a rebalancing strategy, so you need to know the difference. And the other type of rebalancing strategy is called smart beta. Now, this is kind of like indexing, but not entirely passive. It's rules-based rebalancing strategy. It's aimed at taking the emotion out of rebalancing. It combines the benefits of passive and active investing strategies. It's kind of a hybrid between indexing and pure active investing. Now, is there something out there that does it all for me? Um, is there an index fund that kind of has pre-proportioned uh, asset allocations? Um, you know, they may not rebalance, but they have pre-proportioned asset allocation. And the answer is yes. You can simply invest in an index fund which has a set proportion of assets within it. So, for example, ticker symbol VDHG is a Vanguard high-growth index fund, and within it, it has 37% Aussie shares, 25% international hedged, uh, hedged international shares is 15%, bond index is 6.9%, small companies fund is 6.5%, emerging markets 4.8%, and fixed interest 3%. This may change based on, of course, the economy, the stock market, and other market performance, but there is existing index funds that have pre-proportioned asset allocation strategies for you if that is what you choose to do. So that is it for today's episode on rebalancing and asset allocation. In summary, asset allocation is not just a set and forget process. There are various strategies involved. You may want to use a mix of strategies or just use one strategy. It's up to you. Rebalancing is looking at the assets to ensure they don't drift too much from the initial set percentages. Now, once again, congratulations to the two people who will very soon, I hope, if not already, come into a very large sum of money. Eight figures is definitely something to write home about. You've worked hard for this, and I think it's time you relax and enjoy it. Now, remember, don't rush. Take your time allocating capital. Take your time. Learn, research. There's no rush. The money's not going to you know, become worthless overnight. So make sure you ignore the noise. Make sure you pay attention to the principles. These are all just advice that I give for everyone, uh, especially true if you've got a large sum of money. It's very, very easy to get distracted and start buying random things like cryptocurrency. I don't buy cryptocurrency. And ideally, keep it all private and just don't tell anyone who doesn't need to know, just my two cents. And hopefully you'll be in a position to make a lot of difference to your lives, but also the lives of people around you. Now, that's it for this episode. Remember to like Devraga Facebook page. Shout out to questions and comments, and thank you to those that have already done so, and also topic suggestions. Share this channel via family and friends, via castbox.fm app. Spotify app, Google Podcasts app, or devraga.com. Um, and always, always, always pay yourself first. Remember, 20% of after-tax income should directly go into your investments. And next time, pay attention to asset allocation and rebalancing and think about your investment goals, investment time horizon, and risk profile. This is Devraga Personal Finance Episode 80, Asset Allocation and Rebalancing. And as always, make sure you stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.